0: Ooh, these look good. I'm making dinner, as I usually am. (laughs) God (laughs) damn it, John. Yeah, Eric, I...
1: I swear to God, we could do this at like 2 a.m. and John would still be making dinner.
0: (laughs) We bought an air... Or I got us an air fryer. The Um, greatest
1: thing ever. Yeah.
2: Hello, welcome to the Keep Sounding Podcast. This is your bi-week version of the Keep Sounding Podcast. This is Brian, joined as always by John and Brad. Brad, how are you doing on this fine evening? I'm great. How are you? I'm wonderful. John, how are you? Wonderful. Mm. I know you're frying up some stuff, so I'm sure that'll be good for you. Um, On this particular occasion, we are joined by our... Fellow CSR writer, Eric Summers, a.k.a. Tater, for a special Kyle Allen edition of your Keep Sounding podcast that we'll get into later. Eric, how are you doing this evening?
3: Well, since we're all wonderful, I am wonderful, Brian.
2: That's what we like to see. If you're not wonderful, you're not on the podcast. So that's how it right. goes. Um, can't see any- so the Panthers... What was that?
0: Nothing. Just, just go on.
2: Okay. Um. So the Panthers played a football game on Sunday in London at 9.30 in the morning, which, by the way, fuck that. I'm tired. I do not want to get up at 9.30 in the morning to watch a football game on Sunday and cover it. I would much I rather be at 1 o'clock. I
1: I could not disagree with you anymore. Like, I, I don't even disagree with you about hot dogs and what their status is more than I disagree with you. 9.30 is the best time to watch and cover an NFL game. You get up a little bit early, you watch the game, and it's fucking over. At noon or 1 o'clock, it's over, and the rest of your day is wide open. Every game in the NFL should start at 9.30 a.m. Yeah. Every week.
0: It, it would if you, if you lived out west, so just it, well, that think is about true. that.
3: I don't want to move out west, though. You <laughs> can't have your cake eat too. so have an opinion on this because as a person without offspring, I agree with John and Brian. <laughs> yeah
2: yeah. I, I like to sleep in on Sundays. That's my hobo day.
3: Yeah,
0: like it, it's kind of fun for like a novelty of it, but I definitely would prefer us not to play more than one game at 9 30 in the morning.
1: Sorry, Brad, yep. you're overruled. Well, I mean, you know, I guess when you get older and wiser, you'll see what I mean.
0: Older and that circadian rhythm starts just creeping up earlier and earlier in the day. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yep.
2: <laughs> um, so we're going to go through a little brief recap of the game, get get the guys' thoughts on it. Um. So the Panthers obviously won, and uh, Jameis Winston turned in what was probably – what I would call the most Jameis Winston performance of the entire season. Uh, he threw five picks. The Panthers' defense forced a total of seven turnovers. Um, they won 37-26. Surprisingly, even though McCaffrey did score two touchdowns, he wasn't going for over 200 yards of scrimmage like he has been recently or around 200 yards of scrimmage. He only had 31 yards rushing on 22 attempts, which averaged to 1.4 yards per carry. He did have four catches for 70 yards, which is pretty good. Um, but overall this, this game seemed to be more about the other aspects of the team and that the other aspects of the team did, did succeed. Um, I guess like just to briefly break down the offense, uh, Kyle Allen had 20 of 32 passes, 20 completions of 32 attempts for 227 yards and two touchdowns, averaging 7.1 yards per throw. Uh, He had two sacks a 52.9% quarterback rating. Um, So it wasn't a great game by Kyle Allen, but in the end, they still won and the offense had some moments. You would like to see more when you turn the ball over when you force seven turnovers, Um, But they still scored 37 points. So I'll start with John because, John, I know you wrote about how the Panthers' offense has been performing over the last few weeks. So give me your take on Sunday and as far as the offense goes.
0: I think the offense's performance on Sunday is being severely overrated by how many points they scored. Because other than that, they weren't really that great. Would you like me to elaborate? Since
2: you're Go being ahead. <laughs> Be, do all the elaborating you want.
0: So it was, I can't remember all the exact numbers, and I don't have them in front of me. But it was like, other than there's like two long touchdown drives, and the rest of the Panther scoring drives started like in Buccaneers territory. Like, two, two started in field goal range and gained zero yards, or something yeah. like that. One of the yeah. touchdown, one of the touchdown drives was one <sighs> play. So sorry about that. Um,
2: (laughs) Keekly's mad.
0: No, that's the other one. Um, I know. It's always the other one. Uh, Yeah, so it's like one of the touchdown drives. Like I said, one play, one pass, and it was a bad pass. I think. I think it was the Curtis Samuel pass was the one that um was only one was only one play. Yeah, it might have been the run. It was.
2: Yeah, one play, uh, it was actually a Curtis Samuel rush. Okay, so it was the run.
0: Either way, like three of the seven scoring drives were basically the ball moved less than 10 yards. So it's not really saying much for the offense. And on on top of that, the last five times six, or yeah, plus six turnover margin, they won by at least 21 points.
2: Yeah, you'd expect a better scoring output from uh, the offense when they get that many opportunities in the opponent territory. Um, Brad, do you have any thoughts you'd like to share as far as the offense goes? Are we, are we doing what
1: we talked about now? or Not Not yet, no. <laughs> oh, I was like, why are you going to me? We have Eric. Um, I mean, John pretty much said what needs to be said. The offense was Okay it wasn't great. It wasn't good. It's being overrated. Um, there are reasons for that, but we'll get into that later. Um, but I, I think we should have scored more than 37 points. I think we should have at least had 50, if not more than that. When you force that many turnovers and you start drives that far up the field, you can't not score touchdowns. You can't, uh, you can't settle for field goals in those scenarios. That's not how you you play winning football. We were just lucky that Jameis Winston was awful.
2: Yeah, he, he was not good. Um, five picks is certainly bad, and he started the game off. His first throw was a pick. So.
1: Yeah, literally three, the first play from scrimmage was an interception by James Bradbury. Three, like three for
0: 15 on third down, two.
1: Yeah, yes. and I know I know a lot of people. We were three for fifteen on third down, and I've seen this comment on CSR a couple of times throughout the week uh, that Jarius Wright dropped three first downs from Kyle Allen, and he did that. That's absolutely true. But six for fifteen on third down is bad too. <laughs> like, also, it's not, it's not like we were. You know, we were nine for 15 and we would have been 12 for 15 if not for Jarius Wright forgetting how to catch. I mean, we were still bad.
0: We also averaged 4.3 4. yards per play, which, for context, averaging 4.3 yards per play for the course of a season is roughly the worst in the league, somewhere between like 26th and 32nd. So, yeah.
3: Yeah. Even I mean- on a
0: per play basis was bad.
3: For those people who would like to say, you know, we'll get into this more later, but for those people that would like to say uh, that Kyle Allen throws a better ball than Cam Newton does, and they'll talk, and, but they'll trumpet all the losses, all the, the unconverted third downs because Jarius Wright dropped the ball so much, good God, Cam Newton had to deal with way more drop passes than Kyle Allen has ever had to deal with in his entire career between Ted Ginn Jr. and Devin Funches the lack of ability to convert on third down is absolutely astounding. Usually we would try to throw to one of them on third down and then we'd be like, okay, fine. Cam, it's fourth down, reach the ball over the line.
1: Yep.
2: Um, Eric, I did. The reason why I held you on for last is because I wanted to hear what you have to say about the offensive line in regards to the offensive performance. Cause I know the rushing game wasn't great. They only, they only rushed for a total of like 59 yards, but this seemed kind of like a game where the Buccaneers were basically selling out and making Kyle Allen make the plays to uh, score. Um, so, what did you think of the offensive line? I mean, I know uh, obviously Greg Little was out, Trey Turner was out, so we still had that that makeshift offensive line we saw last week. What did what did you see? What did you what what did you interpret from the Panthers' performance on Sunday as far as the offensive line goes?
3: Well, I saw a lot of things that should make us very happy as far as Carolina Panthers fans are concerned. It has been a long time where we haven't field our, fielded our full starting offensive line, but still been able to protect the quarterback. And the fact that right now, both of the guys that we drafted in this year's draft look like they could potentially be answers at left tackle, that's astounding. The, the odds on that are, absolutely insane from an NFL talent perspective. Um, Daly did a great job matched up on Shaquille Barrett, who granted, you know, he he was leading the league in sacks coming in, I want to say with nine or something crazy like that. He was. Yep. And, you know, there are a lot of people that were saying, well, it it was, it was a failure to make an early season adjustment by opposing offensive coordinators. Um, But that means at, at minimum, if you're able to beat a NFL level, Tackle one on one to the tune of getting nine sacks because if you get nine sacks, God knows how many actual pressures you probably got um, that didn't result in a sack for you that might have resulted in one for somebody else. You're still a good player, um, and the fact that Daly or a combination of Daly and Manhertz uh, held him to just one tackle on the day and and no pressures really at all, pretty impressive. And I would say. A lot of people said, well, we were, we were using Manhurts in conjunction with Daly a lot. Manhurts didn't play. Oh, was it not Manhurts? No, nah, it would
2: have been Ian Thomas or Greg Olson. Okay.
3: All right. In that case, I don't know. What, well, then why have people been saying it was Manhurts? I'll, well, I guess it's, you know, sometimes on CSR, people just make assumptions. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I didn't even, that shows you how often that I actually saw it happen. People just assumed that we were giving a double team. Uh, I think they got that from, I'm
1: not trying to interrupt you, but I think they got that from the Jaguars game because I believe at the beginning of that game, they did put Manhurts over there to give Daly some help because it was his first start.
3: Oh, yeah, and they were still doing that in this game, but the reality is I would say less than 50% of the time uh, did Daly have any tight end help on the left side. He was matching up either one-on-one or in tandem with Greg Van Rotten on Shaquille Barrett, and he shut him down. I mean, we did have some help, but it wasn't every single time. And uh, I would say when you put that together, along with what we saw in the Jaguars game, uh, this kid this kid is for real, because there were plenty of times where we were putting a tight end over there when Daryl Williams was the tackle, and people were still getting sacked. So I would say that both Greg Little and Dennis Daly have shown in some limited action so far that they have the potential to be that answer at left tackle and the fact that we could have gotten them both in the same draft and neither for a first round pick. If I'm Marty Herney, I'm writing that in size 48 font at the top of every resume I submit for the rest of my life, because I don't know what the odds of that are, but they're very, very, very low.
2: I do want to say I I lied. Chris Manhertz did play. That was uh, my fault. But anyway, continue.
3: Yeah, so, so other than the left tackle situation, I know that's just what everybody wants to hear first. Um, Darrell Williams continue to do a good job at right guard. I think guard, as, as a lot of us were saying before the season, uh, is probably his ideal spot. I don't know if it would truly make a difference if he was at right guard or left guard. Uh, he seems to be more comfortable on the right side, but the moment Trey Turner comes back, that's his spot. So um, we're not going to keep Daryl Williams at right guard when Trey's ready to go. We may, we may make sure that Trey is 100% and give him some time, but as soon as Trey's ready, he's going to be back. And I would imagine, or I would hope, that that means Daryl Williams is either playing left guard or taking a seat. And I would bet in this case that he is probably taking a seat.
1: I think um, we all know what's going to happen. He's going to play left tackle as soon uh, as Trey Turner comes back.
3: Yeah. I, I – Desperately hope not. I mean, if that's the case, then we're absolutely blind to what has been happening because every single every single outlet that tracks this kind of data, every anybody that tracks the amount of pressures that result when there are different configurations out there knows that over the past couple of weeks we have been astoundingly better than we were in the first two games of the season. And guess what? We won all those games and we lost the first two. So I would really really hope that if nothing else the win loss record Kyle Allen accepted might tell the uh the coaching staff that hey maybe it's a good idea not to put Daryl Williams at left tackle anymore.
2: You know, it's it's actually on top of what you're saying, you can just look at the individual stats of the players who play against the left tackle and say that guy wasn't as wasn't as productive against not Daryl Williams cuz he faced Calais Campbell and Yannick Ngakwe against the Jaguars. And I think he only surrendered one sack. Dennis Daly. Yep. Um this past week, obviously, Sha- Shaq Barrett didn't have a single sack. Like, granted, it's a small sample size, but Williams surrendered three sacks against the same defensive front at left tackle. So, yeah, I agree. Like, they should be able to look at that and objectively say. Daly is a better player to put it left tackle.
1: I don't think left tackle is really as much of falls, much of a victim to the small sample size as other skill positions. Cause you can either block or you can't.
2: Yeah, that's true. I mean,
1: you know, and I, I get it after the first game, but he's played what three games now. And uh, this
2: is his second. I think
1: that was the second. Okay. But you know, I mean, I, I just don't think that it's a, like there's no tape on him like it is with a quarterback or a wide receiver or, you know, whatever. I, I think it's just a matter of he's better than Daryl Williams. Oh, yeah. And this is coming from someone who thought he should play guard. Uh, he has proven me wrong, and I'm I'm glad that he has. Um, and he may still end up being the left guard. They may put Greg Little at left tackle and Dennis Daly at left guard. And at any rate, you know, those two guys both being there on the left side is is great. And like Eric said, Marty Herney should – that should be the first thing he says anytime he interviews for any job in an NFL front office for the rest of his life.
3: Oh, yeah. It's an acceptable (laughs) good problem to have. I mean, we have not been this deep on the offensive line ever, especially not in Cam Newton's tenure and probably not going back before that. Uh, I can't remember the last time that I felt good about – both starting tackle spots and their backups. I, I honestly can't remember the last time that happened. I don't think it's ever happened.
0: Yeah, it seems like... it's very. I think it's very rare for any team to say yeah, that they I was, feel comfortable I was going to say their...
1: that too. I don't think that's a Panthers-centric it, rarity. Most NFL teams don't have that luxury. I
0: don't think any team has more than like, especially just a tackle specifically, more than like two tackles they feel comfortable with. Like I think yeah. you're very, very lucky if you have one backup swing tackle that you're like, oh... I, we trust him in a pinch. Yeah. Have- I feel yeah.
1: Like, yeah. yeah. Most, most of your backup swing tackles are guys like Marshall Newhouse and Chris Clark. Like that's your average NFL backup tackle. Yeah. And yeah. we've seen what they can and can't do.
3: Yeah. The only reason you end up with something like we have right now is you've got guys on rookie contracts. And, you know, the, these are the types of things that when they happen – they set up teams to win Super Bowls. When you end up with a bunch of talented guys who come into their own early in their rookie deals, and some of them are on exceptionally cheap mid to late round contracts. These are the types of things that set up teams for large playoff runs and Super Bowl victories. And I tell you what, if, if healthy Cam is back the next time he plays, watch out, NFL. We are capable of beating anyone.
2: I agree, Eric, and that's something we will touch on in a little bit. But to uh, segue, which this is a great segue into the defense, because Vernon Butler had two straight strip sacks on Sunday, and he happens to still be on a rookie deal. Uh, they also still have Brian Burns, who is on his first year of his rookie deal. They still have Marquise Haynes, who's making a solid contribution, at least as a rotational guy on the defense. Uh, Christian Miller had to sit out this week, but the defense really showed up on Sunday and they have a lot of guys who are on rookie contracts or very cheap ones at that. So looking at the defense, they forced seven turnovers. They sacked Jameis Winston a lot. They did a lot of great things. They really carried this, this Panthers team, Honestly, throughout this 4 0 stretch, like this, this defense has done so well helping the Panthers offense with Kyle Allen at the helm. It's been, it's kind of crazy to me how quickly they turned around the pass rush. It went from being really bad last year, where it, they had to blitz on almost every play, to this year, where they are one of the top teams at hitting and sacking the quarterback. Um, Eric, I will start with you on this because you're definitely the expert on the trenches. So what has been the best thing about this about this front seven by the Panthers going into this season with this 4-0 run right now? What, what has been the driving force behind this, this awesome defensive effort?
3: Well, I would say we finally are starting to see the payoff of a bunch of guys that have speed, and can work together. So one of the guys who's not getting as much credit, I mean, people are talking about him anecdotally as as having a better season than last year, but somebody who's really been a linchpin on this defense is Dontari Poe. He has done a great job, and and you can see it in Vernon Butler's second strip sack. Um, Dontari has done a great job holding the point of attack, and what he's done really, really well whenever there's a drop back for a pass um, He's done an excellent job mirroring the quarterback. And when I say that, he's essentially, he's, he's not going to be as fast as the quarterback, but it's his job to shuffle up and down the line of scrimmage and make sure that the quarterback can't escape moving forward. And the reason for that is when you've got guys like Brian Burns, Christian Miller, Mario Addison, all this speed coming off the edge, as long as you can force the quarterback laterally or backward, chances are those guys can catch him and bring him down or force a bad pass or force a turnover. Um, that's the reason we're doing so well is a combination of our inside ta- tackles. And the fact that we're doing without k1 Short is pretty darn admirable. We're getting great play out of both Dontari Poe, Vernon Butler, and Kyle Love. Um, it's pretty darn impressive. It, it really is. And Um, But I think the the real catalyst here and the biggest difference maker is Brian Burns. He is an exceptional talent. He is way too fast to be playing the position he is at the size he is. And his motor never stops. He has made so many effort plays this year. I don't think I've ever seen a player with more drive to get after the quarterback and get after the football than he has. He's pretty special.
2: That he is. That he is. And another guy. Gerald McCoy had three sacks on Sunday too. I think it was three. game.
1: Two.
2: Yeah, that was a revenge game for sure. Oh yeah. Um. Speaking of revenge games, he had two and a half sacks. Two and a half.
3: So he was credited with two and a half. So all right, yeah. that's that's good. Um, you know, what's interesting about McCoy is we've used him in a lot more positions than just defensive tackle. We've been kind of moving him all over the line, and I'm. I'm frankly impressed with how fast he is as well. Even even though he's on the wrong side of thirty now, He's still got some wheels and he can get after people. So, it's just a lot of guys who are surprising me with their ability right now.
2: I think he's only one year older than Kwan Short.
3: Yeah, I think you're right. It wouldn't yeah. surprise me. Kwan Short was like the oldest
0: a rookie could possibly be.
1: That's the classic yeah, Panthers he was like mantra. when he got drafted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did, Yeah, uh, I
0: remember when we gave him his like big contract extension after his four years he was 28 so because there's like josh norman was that way too or it's like this is you're way too old to be on a rookie deal
1: well
2: john i know you're all about the passing game and you don't really give a shit about running the football um (laughs) so looking at the passing defense of the panthers um Big game by James Bradbury, by the way. He had 11 credited tackles that were all solo tackles, and he had four pass deflections along with two interceptions. Is he elite?
0: I don't know enough about other cornerbacks to to grade him compared to other cornerbacks. I do think he's very good, though.
1: I don't think he's elite. I I wouldn't use the word elite. (laughs)
0: Because, I, I, yeah, I guess it's hard for me to, like, tier him because I just don't know a, enough about other teams' secondaries and stuff like that. But uh, he is very, very good.
1: Elite is Jalen Ramsey. And I think James Bradbury is in the tier right below that.
3: Are we Chris gambling James Bradbury right now? I don't <laughs> Like, overrating James. him
0: because he's a Panther and we yeah, don't have we're enough context. Him
3: because of who he plays for.
0: I think there's, there's – I mean, there's uh, definitely an element of that where – kind of like what I said in that cornerback is a very difficult position to know how good they are unless you watch them play on a regular basis. Like there's nothing you can look at the box score and say like whether or not, oh, this this corner is good, this corner is bad. And Bradbury is the best corner that we see regularly. So naturally we're going to think he's one of the best in the NFL. Well, I
1: mean, I think he's one of the – one of the eight best number one corners in the, in the league. Like, I don't think he's mediocre or anything. I just, I have a hard time using the word elite. Like I don't think he's one of the, the one or two best corners in the league. I think he's probably in the four to five range.
0: That's, that's, still that's very, very, very good.
1: Yeah. Very good. Yeah is is what he is to me i don't i don't think he's he's mediocre bad or good he's very good but i don't think i would use the word elite i don't think he's you know um darrell revis jalen ramsey deon sanders that kind of elite corner i i just think he's he's in the tier of the best of the non-elite I think he's playing
2: better than Bratt uh, than Norman did in 2015.
1: I think that's probably fair, um, but I didn't think Josh Norman was elite either.
3: Well, I got to wonder, you know, since we're, see- we're, we're seeing every single one of our corners play better across the board. And I have to believe that that is a side effect of the amount of pressure that we're getting. Um, we're seeing Cockrell play better, saying DJ play better. We're seeing JV and Elliott play better. I mean, I, I don't think it's a coincidence to think that this front seven has lifted the play on the, black, the back end by forcing, you know, uh, quarterbacks to hold the ball a little longer, forcing them to make bad throws, rush throws. Um, I think we're seeing dividends on the back end because no quarterback can get comfortable. We have yet to see a quarterback that has been at all comfortable against us, which is great, um, but it also makes it hard to evaluate the guys on the back end.
0: That, that's something that I thought's been the most impressive about our, our front seven is ju- not just the sacks and stuff, but like even guys like Deshaun Watson and Gardner Minshew, who are supposed to be and Gardner Minshew's young, but Deshaun Watson in particular, where he's supposed to be like one of his main attributes is his poise and how well he handles adversity and pressure and stuff like that. And to see him completely flustered by the pass rush says a lot about how disruptive they are.
3: I think he's he's shocked to see more than one person on that front that's as athletic as he is. It's not just Brian Burns. It's also Christian Miller. It's also Mario Addison. I don't think any quarterback in the league is used to seeing that many guys that can actually run them down from behind if they're, if they're like a Lamar Jackson or a Deshaun Watson type.
2: I even argue that Bruce Irvin and Shaq Thompson are in that conversation.
3: Oh, yeah.
1: Shaq Thompson is playing himself into a – like five-year, $70 million contract right now. That dude's been playing out of his mind.
3: Yeah, it's been an exceptional season for him. And the only problem, of course, with the defense playing at a historic pace like this is I have no idea how we're going to work out contracts with all these guys. Um, So there's going to have to be some tough decisions probably made. But well, I mean, there's a there's there's the possible
1: core. way we could, you know, look under the couch cushion and find about 19 million bucks. Hey!
3: Hey! I mean,
1: <laughs> you know, that that could
3: pay for somebody. Um, Just throwing that out there, you know. How many coins do you think are under that, that couch, Brad? Is it somewhere lot. between five and zero?
1: I mean, David Tepper's worth $11 billion. I'm sure he probably has $19 million and lose change in his couch.
2: So should we segue into the Kyle Allen versus Cam Newton debate then, since we're getting there? Of course. All what right. What else
1: is there to talk about?
2: <laughs> it's
1: a hot topic. It's, it is the hot topic. Um, if you're listening to this and you're tired of the Kyle Allen versus Cam Newton debate, you can kindly fast forward about 20 minutes or so and we apologize for the inconvenience. <laughs> um,
2: I really want to get into what Brad's saying about the 19 million thing, but I also feel like we need to do our, our bit about Kyle we Allen. We can do
1: that, and I would like to actually defend that thought because I do have yep. a legitimate real talk conversation starter about that topic. Do you want to talk about that now then? We'll do that first. We can if you want. Um, I All mean, right, go, go ahead,
2: defend your point about uh the well it's not my
1: it's not my opinion per se. It's not what I want them to do. It's not what I even think that they maybe even should do. It's what I think is possible that they will do. Um okay. Let's look at the the facts. These this is not subjective opinion. This is these are all facts. Cam <clears throat> Newton has one more year left on his contract after this season is over. His cap hit is $20 million. If they release him, his dead cap is $2 million. The $19.1 million can do a lot. I mean, it can buy offensive linemen. It can give Shaq Thompson and James Bradbury contract extensions. It can pay Christian McCaffrey. It could, uh, you know, bring guys back like like Vernon Butler, if they want to bring Vernon Butler back. Like it, it allows them to do that. Um, you know, Cam Newton is going to be 30 years old or 31 years old. Cam Newton has been in the league for almost a decade. Cam Newton has had two shoulder surgeries. Cam Newton has a foot injury that we don't really even know what it is. Uh, It's either a sprain, a Liz Frank injury, or gangrene. Like, we have no idea. Ron's not a doctor. Uh, We don't know. (laughs) Um, So depending, and and a lot of this to me depends on how severe this injury is. Uh, I want to say it was Will Brinson that said today on Twitter that there's a chance that Cam Newton doesn't come back until week 14 or week 15. And, you know, side note, if that's the case, just put him on injured reserve and be done with it and stop the madness of Cam Newton versus Kyle Allen. Just pick Ky- Cam, look, just pick Kyle Allen, put Cam on IR, and be done. If he's not going to be back until, you know, three or four weeks before the season's over. There's no point in keeping him on the 53-man roster at that point. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think that he's probably going to come back in week nine. I don't think they'll bring him back for the 49ers game because I think that that would be foolish. Uh, You know, I don't think we're going to beat the 49ers no matter who starts a quarterback. Let the backup take those hits. Let the backup play one more week. Get another week of evaluating what you've got in Kyle Allen. before. And and Cam's got to practice with the team. He's got to get timing back with his receivers. He's got to get back in the flow of being – in football-related activity anyway, and playing against a 5-0 and we will probably be 6-0 team in San Francisco. On the road, I believe, if I remember correctly, we go to San Francisco. uh, That's not a good idea, which means totally that Cam's going to start. But, um, you know, I don't think that the Panthers are going to want to give him a long-term deal when he's already at the peak and potentially coming down and you know bill belichick is the master of this you want to get rid of a guy a year too early before you do it a year too late and i just i think that if kyle allen is five and oh six and oh five and one six and one whatever they're gonna seriously consider just rolling with him at least for another year they can have him at he's an exclusive rights-free agent, so they can have him for $500,000 in cap space. And while I think that would be the single-handedly, the dumbest thing that they could possibly do, we're not, it's not like we've never done stupid things before as an organization. Um, So while I don't want them to do it, I don't think they should do it. I, I think that there's a really good chance they will. Because like I said, nineteen million dollars is a lot of money that can buy a lot of role players and even starter quality players and you don't have to scrounge to find cap space to keep guys like Shaq Thompson.
0: I just hope that the team doesn't think of it that way because then they're you're not you're you're able to pay more players, but then you're on the other end of the thing a quarterback, or you're just saying, We're gonna put a good roster on a backup quarterback, and that's our recipe for success.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And that's the downside is that you end up with Kyle Allen turns back into a pumpkin and then you're in quarterback purgatory, which is the worst place to be as an NFL team. You either want to be absolute dog shit or compete for the Super Bowl. You don't want to be like the Tennessee Titans. Uh, You you don't want to be, you know, or, or even the Panthers the last couple of years. You don't want to be seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seven. You know, you, you have to either be really good or really bad. So unless you, you have your
0: quarterback, then it's not as big a deal. But yeah.
1: Have, yeah, unless you have your quarterback, uh, you don't want to, to roll with an uncertainty. And, you know, I, I just – I think David Tepper especially is going to look at all of the factors. And him being a businessman, that $19 million is very attractive.
3: Especially when we have Will Greer, who can clearly carry the load in case Kyle Allen can't.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean they—they didn't—they dra- didn't draft him to sit there and hold a clipboard.
3: Definitely
2: they, not. Doing it so well. well. I don't know. For me, it's what I expect is Cam Newton to come back, be at least like I don't know, eighty-five percent healthy. And to just tear shit apart and squash this idea that Kyle Allen is the future of this franchise. Like, we've seen Cam Newton when the national media has been like, he's done. He's not a good quarterback. He's bad. And he comes out and just strings together a 12 and four season, a 15 and one season. I think that that's what we're going to see, honestly. Like, I think that. When Cam Newton comes back, people are going to be bitching because he will take over for Kyle Allen, whether he loses or not against the 49ers. And all of a sudden, we're going to see him do what we've seen, the magic of Cam Newton. And everyone will be like, where was this Cam for the last two years? Well, people like me and John and Brad and Eric will say, "Well, he was there in the first half of 2018, you guys just choose not to... Acknowledge that.
3: Yeah, pretty much. That's
1: the one thing that kills me is people are like, "Well, I haven't seen a healthy Cam Newton since 2015." Well, apparently, you didn't watch 2018 when we were six and two,
2: or the For- season before that, where he he carried the team, kicking and screaming
3: to the playoffs. And let me and let me also say this: uh, early 2018, Cam Newton had Chris Clark at left tackle.
0: Yes. One other thing that's getting lost with this is late season Cam Newton, who was injured, was still really good. Yeah. It wasn't like I mean, the Steelers game, he his play fell off a cliff, where you could see his arm strength start to deteriorate, but he didn't. Until those last two starts, he was still putting up, like he was still throwing for like 300 yards and moving the offense and playing good football.
1: Yeah, you know, we lost by one score in almost every game after that Pittsburgh game.
0: Yeah, the team was losing, but Cam was playing fine. People are like, I think lost in the the losing people immediately are automatically equated the losing streak with Cam's play deteriorating, but like his play didn't drop off until like week fifteen.
3: No, we have the opposite problem that we do now. We could not (laughs) quarterback. Our defense was bad. We could not close out games when teams went to full throw mode. We had no pass rush. Yeah, we had nobody. We literally had Mario Addison. And, you know, you have to have it on both sides of the line or else the quarterback's just going to run away from him every single time. Um, now that we have weapons across the line, there's nowhere to go and we're beating the crap out of guys.
2: Yep, I agree. Um, huh, so I guess it's time for us to give our Kyle Allen takes as far as uh, what we think of him so far because this has been the biggest topic of conversation across the national media, Cam Newton versus Kyle Allen. Should Kyle Allen take over? Is this the end of Cam Newton's career in Carolina? Obviously listening to this podcast listeners, you probably know where we stand, but regardless, I want to take a moment and let every person on this show give their measured take on Kyle Allen without Cam Newton, what have you. So, Eric, you started this the week off with, a, with an article about Kyle Allen. Or I shouldn't say, you didn't start it off in the article, but you were on Twitter, and you just went to town, and you had a lot of people coming at you. So, justify your takes on Twitter. Give us your idea of Kyle Allen and what you think is going to happen going forward and what you think of him as a quarterback right now.
3: Well, on, on Twitter, I basically, I didn't say anything that wasn't a fact. And I think that's the, the problem in this whole debate, where if people aren't backing Kyle Allen 100%, uh, they're considered a Cam lover and a Kyle hater. It's not like that. I mean, I'm just looking at the absolute facts of the situation. There are two stats that everybody who is in love with Kyle Allen quotes. One of them is his win-loss record. The other one is his seven seven to zero touchdown interception ratio. The third is his quarterback rating, but usually they don't use that one because a lot of people don't even understand it. Um, but the problem there is it's not the whole story. Fact, Kyle Allen puts the ball on the ground a lot. He's fumbled six times and he's given away four of those. That would have absolutely lost us the Houston game or the Jacksonville game if our defense didn't put up 23 sacks in the last four games 23 i'm pretty sure i haven't looked it up but i'm pretty sure 23 sacks has never happened in a four-game stretch in nfl history by any one team i can say that with some pretty good confidence i also think that 14 forced turnovers hasn't probably hasn't happened in a four-game stretch in nfl history i would have to look both of those things up doing a lot of extensive research but even if they have happened before, I can guarantee you they would be exceptionally rare. The defense right now is playing at a level that we've never seen in Carolina, and that includes some of our best defenses. This defense right now is at a level that would put them in the same rarefied air as the 85 Bears of the 4 Bucks. I mean, it's it's ridiculous the amount of things that this defense is accomplishing and that our offense is still just barely – dragging us to victory. Um, I will give Kyle Allen a well-fought victory against the Arizona Cardinals. He played exceptionally well in his coming out party, but I think he has been living off of the fame of four touchdown passes against one of the worst defenses in football every single week since, because in the two games that are meaning against Houston and Jacksonville, he did nothing. He was bad. He made one heroic throw to save the game against Houston. But most of the reason that throw was needed was him himself. He's the one that was giving the game away. Um, I just think it's a little bit ridiculous how much credit Kyle Allen is getting for the team's wins when the defense is playing so well that they're being talked about in historic air, but yet Kyle Allen is 5-0. and And that's all everybody can say. And I I still say he's 4-0. I I refuse to acknowledge a Week 17 victory between two teams that have nothing to play for, just not my style. But (laughs) he's 4-0 in meaningful games. But to say that that's all his doing would be – I mean, it's fool's gold. It's absolute fool's gold.
1: Fun fact, the 1985 Chicago Bears did not even get 23 sacks in a four-game span.
3: Damn. most they had was 18. So this defense in the course of four games produced five more sacks than the one of the most, if not the most legendary defensive units in NFL history. That's insane. I mean, there's nothing else to say. And, And the fact that people are brushing it aside and giving credit to a backup quarterback a good backup quarterback i think kyle allen's doing a really good job minding the ship but honestly there's a good chance that you could have pulled any quarterback off the street and won games with them the way the defense is playing I the mean,
1: 2000 baltimore ravens also did not accomplish that feat
3: let me know when you get to the uh, the tampa bay bucks because i'm betting they did not accomplish that feat either and they, they had think- one of the best fronts in history
0: the thing is too, like, it's not just like this defense, and this is kind of piggybacking opportunity. Jane. It's not just like they're shutting teams down. The sacks and the turnovers directly help the offense. Like, if if you just like stymie opposing teams and they gain like five five to fifteen yards drive and they punt, that helps. But you're not like flipping the field, so to speak. When the defense is directly like taking possession of the ball and pushing the other team's offense backwards, they're actively helping their offense, and I like you're saying, like, it's very unfair that they're not getting, I don't think they're getting enough credit for it because they're kind of overshadowed by this whole Allen versus Newton thing because of four games, which is an absurd thing to even start with because it's four games is
3: nothing. The oh,
1: 2002 yeah. Tampa Bay Buccaneers also did not accomplish that feat.
3: Yep. I, I, I would bet you could probably go back as far as you want. And I'm fairly certain that it's never happened in NFL history. It, it's got to be a legendary stretch. Um
1: I mean I'm I'm just I'm looking on Pro Football Reference and I'm just randomly looking at teams that I know from memory that were elite defensive units and yeah. I mean I'm not going to go through a lot of them but I mean if the 1985 Bears or the 2000 Ravens didn't do it I don't think anybody else has done it. Yeah. It would happy. have to be an in- incredibly yeah. random a- random ass team that did it if anybody did.
3: Yeah. If nothing else, it's, a, it's such a rare occurrence that none of us can <clears throat> make it off the top of our heads. So um, it, it's the, the point being, the defense is doing legendary things right now. I mean, we just saw what has to be the rarest play in NFL history over the weekend against Tampa Bay, where we were in a position where we were able to fair catch a punt and kick a field goal essentially right after it before the half. And that's in no that's that's only possible if your defense is able to stop somebody so far back in their territory that they can't get off a good punt. I mean, things are happening right now. Brian Burns has gotten his hands on three punts, for God's sake. It's it's just insane what we're doing. And the fact that everybody is saying, oh, Kyle Allen, what what a f- breath of fresh air. That's my favorite one so far. What a breath of fresh air. That, that That's right in there with the, uh, you know, cagey veteran, you know, rat. first in the, and last, <laughs> out, et cetera, et cetera.
0: The comment section of the thing I wrote about the defense care, well, that basically was the print version of the conversation we're having right now. The comment section of that was so funny because it was just a bunch of like, I don't even know what you'd call them. Just like, oh, well, you know, he throws a better ball.
2: Yeah, God, completely... I was so upset with that, by the way. Anyway, go ahead.
0: But yeah, like something, something's really just like completely improvable one way or the other. And like it's just more, it's more catchable, which again has nothing. He, he puts his players in positions to make plays. It's just like, and anything that people were saying that has any sort of factual, like, you know, a counter to it is just wrong. They're like, well, he's more accurate. He's not, he's not. Like, statistically factually, like from people who chart accuracy on a pro per- throw-, per- throw basis. He's just not like, there's no, well, I think you're wrong. Like it's just, he's not, there's no black. There's no gray area there. It's like, he distributes the ball to his playmakers in space better. He doesn't, he gives, he throws the ball to McCaffrey more than anybody else.
2: John, you can, you can take this time to uh, give your Kyle Allen take if you'd like.
0: That's kinda of what I'm doing. It's 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 largely the same as Eric's. I think he's a good backup quarterback. I think he's a very good backup quarterback, especially considering where he we got him. And that's an accomplishment in and of itself. But it's been four games. That's an like I said, an absurdly small sample size. And it's four games from a quarterback evaluation standpoint that were not against Super- the the toughest competition was the Texans and they're eh. And the offense was bad against the Texans. He scored 16 points despite all the sacks and uh, the seven sacks and the Texans offense not doing anything. So I just don't see why there's any question about who the team's, sorry about the dogs. I don't know why there's any question about who the team's quarterback should be when cams healthy, even if like, and I don't think understand this whole like, well, we don't know if we're going to get healthy cam again. Like he sprained his foot. Like it's a, it's a new thing. And like so I think Allen's fine. He's a good backup. He's doing a great job doing what he needs what a backup should do and just not colossally messing things up other than what he tried to do in the Texans game. But it, this is really the defense in McCaffrey's team. They're they're the ones winning these games. Agreed. And the stats just go read the the thing I wrote the other day. <laughs> I'm not gonna John, repeat everything John- there, but
2: John has been hard at work with his calculator to prove a lot of this stuff. Um, <laughs> the
0: comment, the comment section too. It's 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 more in depth in there too. It's just
2: now. John, Brad, and I have been fighting a lot with uh, commenters about this stuff. So feel free to go read our articles because yeah, there's just
3: a lot there's of good no stuff. Shortage of facts out there for people to read. No, about there's it, plenty of facts. Don't seem to matter to some people.
2: So, before I let Brad give his take on Kyle Allen, um, I will give my take on Kyle Allen. So, for those of you who have seen the show How I Met Your Mother, there's a specific line that Barney Stinson uses in the show, and it's that new is always better. And that's kind of where I feel like people are at with Kyle Allen. New is always better, because we've seen Cam Newton at his absolute best and his absolute worst, where... Kyle Allen has won four games and despite any objective facts presented to him not being a franchise quarterback, which is to me laughable, the fact that people think he's a franchise quarterback, but any objective facts to that are just thrown aside because he's five and O as a starting quarterback. He's like, so Cam Newton is the go- is the woman you've married. We know what we have with this person. We know that they can be great. They- we also know that they can be really bad sometimes. But in the end, there's an expectation of what they can do on an average day in the NFL. Where Kyle Allen is like this new thing where it's like, oh, this is so great in this short span of time. Maybe we should, like, move on and just, like, kind of fool around with Kyle Allen, see what's going on, you know? And Kyle Allen has just has shown the recent dividends where we're just ignoring the fact that everything we've seen over the last nine years of Cam Newton's career is just suddenly null and void because this person has won four games against bad NFL teams. It's It's frustrating to me. Because Kyle Allen has really not. I, I would say you could maybe give him credit for the Arizona Cardinals game. But every other game, other than that, he has not been the reason the Panthers have won. And I think that's being way overlooked by the national media, the F 150 Twitter, and the Kyle Allen truthers that. Kyle Allen is not the reason they're winning these games. Kyle Allen is also not the reason. If they lost these games, Kyle Allen would also not be the reason they lost them. He's he's doing just enough. It's not that he's winning. It's not that he's taking over. It's not that he's throwing tons of touchdown passes. I mean, the Curtis Samuel touchdown from this past week, for example, he threw what should have been an interception, and Curtis Samuel made a great play on the football. Last week, two straight throws to DJ Moore that were bad, one of which should have been a touchdown if he had just thrown it ahead of him, and it was a slant route. So for those of you who aren't very privy to what an NFL throw is, a slant route is a high school-level throw. It's not an NFL throw. It's a three-step drop back. The wide receiver runs three steps. Makes a break inside. It's not a complicated route. And Kyle Allen threw it so far behind DJ Moore that he had to reach back with one hand and almost tried to catch it. That's not That's not an NFL throw. That's 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 a high school level throw. That that's what frustrates me the most is like people say he's a better thrower than Cam Newton. He's got more accuracy, he has more touch, but he doesn't. You can just look at these throws on the field. He doesn't make them as consistently like I would say you could maybe arguably make the make make the argument that Cam Newton and Kyle Allen are like maybe equal as far as throws on the NFL field from a short to intermediate range, but Cam Newton has a deep ball. We all know that. Kyle Allen and Cam Newton have the same problems with small short throws. I don't understand where you watch the game and you see Kyle Allen make these throws and say he's a better thrower than Cam Newton. I just don't get it. I don't at all.
0: That's why I like to use objective stuff because there's really no point in having a discussion when you agree with something's objectively because you can't really nobody's right or wrong. Like if you say like I like the way he does this better and you're like I like the way this person does it better, yeah. that's it. Like there's no way to prove it. Another like it's just an opinion. Yeah.
3: There's no ground, and I would like to point out that right now, Matt Moore is out playing Kyle
0: Allen. (laughs) We really need to start asking the question. I kind of alluded to this before we started recording. I mean, Patrick Mahomes keeps getting hurt. The Chiefs are playing pretty well without him. I'd say they're playing better this game without him than they have in the last couple games with him. So you got to wonder, is he done? Like, should they just go with Matt Moore and save the money that they could be using on Patrick Mahomes' extension? You got got to start asking the questions.
2: Yeah, that's the questions you got to ask as an NFL fan of your favorite sports team. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's just... It just bothers me when you see these... I guess my biggest problem with the whole Kyle Allen versus Cam Newton thing is that Cam Newton would make bad throws and people would rightly call him out for it. Where with Kyle Allen... He makes a bad throw and people just say, oh, well, they take every opportunity to blame it on someone else. Where with Cam Newton, it's always his fault. And sometimes, and a lot of the time, it was rightfully his fault. But with Kyle Allen, suddenly it's not his fault. And that's where the frustration lies. That's where I guess this idea that the CSR staff is calling out Kyle Allen unfairly is coming from. Like we've been sitting here watching Cam Newton play and we've, we've rightfully called him out for when he hasn't played well, but there's, there was never an excuse for Cam Newton. It was never the fact that he had a bad offensive line. It was never the fact that he had Kelvin Benjamin or Devin Funches getting bullied the at the snap and not getting out for these short yardage routes. It was never the fact that he had no weapons. It was always Cam Newton's fault where now all of a sudden, Kyle Allen with all these weapons around him when he makes these when he makes these um when he makes these mistakes, it's not his fault. That is super frustrating as somebody who's covered the Panthers for such a long time. So that's where I'm at. I'm not saying I'm not out here saying that the Panthers or I should say it's the CSR staff is trying to make Kyle Allen out to be a bad guy or a bad quarterback but we are here to give you realistic analysis unlike the rest of the nfl and unlike the rest of the media this is what we're here for is to give you realistic nuanced objective analysis brad i know you haven't talked in a while give us your take on kyle allen what do you think of him
1: well i've been listening to john and eric talk about things like objectivity facts numbers stats things like that and i have some questions um i got two numbers for you and i want you to tell me what these numbers mean five and oh
0: they are asking me like directly i'm
1: asking the room oh five and oh i'll give you a hint that's kyle allen's win-loss record <laughs> nine and oh that's kyle allen's touchdown to interception ratio the Panthers haven't lost since Kyle Allen started. That is a fact. You like that word, John. You like to say fact. I do like you facts.
0: Like,
1: you like facts. Well, here's some facts. Curtis Samuel made the best <laughs> catch he's ever made in his entire football career for Kyle Allen because he did not want him to throw an interception. If if Cam Newton would have been a quarterback, Curtis Samuel would have been like, you know, everybody already knows Cam is really good. It'll be all right if I let the defender have this one. We're winning anyway. It's no big deal. But, you know, Kyle, Kyle's my boy. Kyle needs this. He needs the good pat on the back. He needs to feel good about himself. So I'm going to take this ball away from the defender. I don't even care if I get credit for the touchdown. I just don't want the defender to have it. He did that because of Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen has leadership. He has moxie. He's the first guy in the, the locker room. He's the last guy out because he's watching film. He watches more film than Luke Keekley, okay? First of all, um, second of all, he does throw a better ball than Cam Newton because the receivers can actually catch it, uh, except for Jarius Wright, but that's because Jarius Wright's a bum. Um, Only Greg Olson, two
2: mil a season, so yeah, I agree.
1: Greg Olson has revitalized his career with Kyle Allen under center, uh, and he's under center, too. He's not in the shotgun because he can't be under center, like some other quarterbacks, <clears throat> Cam. <laughs> and... You know, he's letting Christian McCaffrey take some of the spotlight away because he doesn't like the limelight. He's a humble guy. Um, you know, he doesn't dress like a a fashion model, like he he's trying to promote his brand or whatever. He just goes up there in, in khaki pants and a golf shirt and talks about football like a real football player is supposed to. He's a real man. He's a man's man. He's built for tough. He's... <laughs> <laughs> He's what you want in a leader. He's what you want in – you know, I would run through a brick wall for Kyle Allen. And it bothers me. What Brian talked about what bothers him. What bothers me is that people want to discredit Kyle Allen because they don't like him. And they're so desperate and hell-bent on getting Cam Newton back that we haven't taken a step back and thought, wait a minute, Kyle Allen is winning games. Why don't we just keep the guy who's winning games? Cam Newton is 0-8 in his last eight starts, okay? Kyle Allen saved the Panthers. If he wouldn't have played Week 17 last year, the Panthers would have had the number nine pick in the draft. And everybody knows that a top ten pick means you're a bad team. Look at the Browns. Look at the Giants. Look at the Jaguars. Look at Washington. They always pick in the top ten. They're bad. Nobody wants to be associated with bad. So Kyle Allen gave us the opportunity to pick 16th (laughs) overall, which means we were in the middle. And that the fact that he got us from being a bad top 10 pick team to drafting where all the good teams who just had a little bit of bad luck and didn't make the playoffs were able to draft, that was an accomplishment that we should celebrate. And it's just a shame that we overlook that because we want to be stupid and petty about whether or not Cam Newton is healthy. I mean, I, I, I think he's faking it personally, but um, I mean, he, he, he has time to be on Instagram drinking wine and smoking cigars. Why doesn't he have time to be in the film room? Why doesn't he have time to, to be on the sideline talking to Kyle Allen and learning from Kyle Allen? You know, why, why can't, why can't we highlight that? Why do we have to talk about the fact that Kyle Allen always fumbles the ball? He doesn't, he doesn't always fumble it to the other team. Sometimes he lets his teammates recover it to boost their confidence. You know, like, I mean, Greg Van Roten hasn't been the same since he recovered that fumble a couple of weeks ago in Jacksonville. And um, I just, I don't know. I think he's, I think he's our guy. I mean, I think he's, he's what we need and what we want. And, and what we should aspire to be. And I, I, just, I'm tired of seeing so many people be negative towards him when all he does is win. It's not his fault that he can't lose. I mean,
0: <laughs> I have one. We need to wrap this up because it's going pretty long, but I have one more question. <clears throat> How much does the, this whole narrative change if Norv Turner calls a better play on fourth and one against the Buccaneers?
2: Not at all. doesn't change at all. You don't think,
0: I don't think if Cam...
1: It doesn't change at all because Kyle Allen would still be 5-0 and o and Cam Newton would be 1-8 instead of 0 Yeah, eight.
0: but the only the reason i say that is because the one win would be his most recent start. And yes, he looked really, really bad in that recent start, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean,
1: NFL is I can't put anything past the internet, but the cognitive dissonance yeah. that would
0: be required to credit all of Kyle Allen's wins to Kyle Allen while dismissing the before that because of other factors is just, I don't know. That would be a lot.
1: Well, the NFL is what have you done for me lately, and what I've seen for me lately is Kyle Allen has won four straight games.
3: (laughs) Well, I think here's the, uh, the point. Let's say Norv Turner calls a better play on fourth and one, or let's say Christian McCaffrey makes a better cut and the Panthers win the football game. I guarantee you that nobody talks about how Cam Newton won any football games.
2: I also guaranteed right. that they would continue to play Cam
1: if he won that game.
0: That's another point. That's a very sad but probably yeah. true fact. Yeah.
1: Let me let me let me disengage from <laughs> making making fun of people. Um, if if we score that touchdown against the Buccaneers, Cam does play in week 3 and he possibly gets hurt then and we're talking about Kyle Allen being 3 and 0 instead of 4 and 0. You know, that's very possible. Uh, it's also possible that Cam doesn't get hurt at all. And we're not even having this conversation. So if you really want to be mad at somebody, be mad at Norv Turner.
2: <laughs> <laughs> be mad at Norv, be mad at Ron. Ron's the one who who went to Cam and decided and asked him if he was okay and didn't pry any further when Cam was like, yeah, I'm good. He's the medical.
0: Or the medical staff, which is the, yeah. the thing that I think we've talked about, like when you when you don't check to see if an NFL player can run before letting them play in an NFL game or clearing them to that, play in an NFL game.
1: That's something that I, I don't think we've actually really gotten into and talked about, talked about. Um, I know we've mentioned it in passing, but how can you not ask your quarterback, hey, can you like run a wind sprint for me? Yes, <laughs> I mean, you know, I get it. If like you do the physical exam and you, you, you check, you know, well, your leg is still attached. Um, yeah, you know, your foot's not broken. Uh, you still have a an ACL, but hey, why, why don't you go run a uh, run a wind sprint for me? Let's see how you move. Like, yeah, or- if, if it was your shoulder, you think they would say, "Hey, let's let's throw a couple of passes. Let's see what you can do." Why didn't they think to do that with his legs? Like, it just doesn't make any sense.
3: Yeah,
0: very irresponsible.
3: Great competitors will never pull themselves out of games because great competitors are convinced that they can overcome any body limitation and still win games for you. And that's
1: every snap since week three.
2: It's not even just that, Eric, but that's a great point. But Cam Newton has been the the guy for Carolina for so long. Like for him to come out and say, "Oh, I'm not healthy enough to play. I have a foot. I have a foot sprain." Like, can you imagine that as a guy who is considered the face of the franchise, a national icon for this franchise, to come out and be like, "I can't play. My foot hurt. co- hurts." Yeah, people like that.
1: Cam's not going
2: to do that. That is. That is 100% Ron Rivera's decision. Ron Rivera has to say, you can't play. And I understand that Cam Newton kind of downplayed that. But at the same time, like you guys have all said, they should have tested him a little more to make sure he was okay. So it falls on multiple parties, in my opinion. I don't, I'm not going to blame it 100% on Cam Newton because he's a competitor, I think that Ron Rivera and the coaching staff absolutely need to be like, okay, you think you're good? Show me.
1: You know who I blame for this? I blame Will Greer.
2: Yeah, Will (laughs) Greer does suck.
3: I think um, the bearded Greer. Imagine, you know, with how successful this draft has been so far, imagine who we could have gotten at pick, you know, 100 instead of Will Greer. We could have gotten, yeah, I don't know. We could have gotten.
1: Look at because this is my favorite game to play: the what if game in the draft. Real talk, I love to do this. Um, oh yeah. Let's see. We drafted Will Greer 100 overall. Yadny Kajust went 101. That's another offensive tackle. Um, we got Dennis Daly though. It's fine. Right. Well, we could have three tackles though. That's the thing.
0: We um, have three tackles. Ron Rivera-North Turner would love an offense with three tackles.
1: Yes. Um, <laughs> the the legitimate one that made a lot of people mad, especially given the fact that we needed one, um, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson went 105.
2: We have Trey Boston. We do. Yeah.
1: But Chauncey yeah. Gardner-Johnson went 105 to the Saints. Yeah. And and Trey place Boston. place for the Saints, he's dead did. to me. Free agent. Let's see. We already
3: took Trey Boston in the third round, Brad. It was just a long time ago.
1: Yes. Exactly. Um, Amani Hooker went 116, so we could have drafted him. Uh, Yeah. We could have, yeah. But let's see.
2: You need need a solid backup for Kyle Allen when he takes over for Cam Newton. So, that's
3: fine. All right, cool. I think I think we've all made our points pretty clear. When you, yeah. agree.
2: I agree. Um, I said John. I'm, uh,
3: I'm, I'm I didn't good. hear you say John. Um, <laughs> i was just messing with you, Brian.
2: Fuck you. Um. <laughs> so, anything else we want to add before we uh, end this? I was I think we pretty Much covered it. Cool. I think we overcovered it. Yeah, we definitely did. Well, from all of us here at the CSR Keep Sounding podcast, this is Brian, joined by John and Brad, and our special guest Eric. Who we will probably have at some have on at some point in time in the near future. Enjoy your bye week. Enjoy your stress-free football weekend. Hopefully, your fantasy teams do well. And uh, we'll be back next week to discuss Kyle Allen versus Cam Newton. And hopefully the Panthers will have a solid chance at beating the 49ers. But we'll have more for that next week for you. So enjoy. And uh, tune
1: in next week.
3: Bye, guys. Later. Keeps the football. Takes off to the end zone for the touchdown. He
1: takes the handoff. And he scores. The boy to the Dolphins behind the line is scrimmage and took it in for the first touchdown of the night. Newton keeps,
2: lowers his shoulder and takes it in for the touchdown. On second and goal, shovel pass McCaffrey, touchdown. And off dive for Jonathan Stewart and he's
0: in for a touchdown.
3: That's intercepted by keeping He has more of those than any linebacker in the league over the last five years. You know... Carolina gets a road win in New England.